Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And away we go. Topics worthy of discussion. Brought to you by Pizzaville, pound 3636. And we've got our uh, august panel in here. Mike Van Solen, principal at Navigator. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. A great day for talk radio. It is. Adrian Batra, editor-in-chief of the Toronto Sun. How's Adrian? I'm doing very well, thank you, John. It's great to be here. Thank you for coming in. And Kim Wright, rounding out the panel, principal at Wright Strategies. How's Kim? Fantastic. It's 10 days to the opening day of baseball season. No, okay. It uh, doesn't feel like it just yet, but uh, I know they're playing down there in the grapefruit. I am willing spring to come. Well, let's hope you're right so about that. So I was things. just down there and uh, saw the Atlanta Braves play Miami. Nice. It was pretty good. In Miami? or No, no in, in Orlando. Oh, okay. Well, they've got a nice stadium in Miami, too, with a big retractable roof. You can see it when you come out of the airport. Yeah, it's in Little Havana, sort of on the outskirts. I'm very excited about March Madness starting. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's going to happen here uh, any day now. And, of course, your Starts Dukes, Thursday. Your, your Blue Devils are uh, slated to go. Well, My Blue Devils are one number the... one overall, and the Gonzaga Bulldogs are mm. number one in the West. Mm. Virginia it's going to be UNC very exciting. That out. Right. All right. Well, uh, before we get to that... <laughs> uh, <laughs> a little sidetrack. Yeah. Let me... Let me uh, you know, there's so much to discuss that I'm uh, at my wit's end as to where we start. Look, let me just finish up where I was uh, in discussion with Jamie Ellerton, a former uh, staffer to PC leader Tim Hudak back in the day. We were discussing Randy Hillier uh, not going quietly from the caucus, though he's been turfed because uh, they said he went rogue and uh, he was unmanageable. Uh, he claims that there were shenanigans going on that he could not countenance. Uh, Mike Van Solen, I mean... What do you make of this? Is this just a tempest in a teapot or are there some overarching important principles in play here? Look, I think they uh, couldn't get along. At the end of the day, the Ford government sort of laid out a map and they said, to, they said to Randy what he had to do to get back into caucus. Clearly, they couldn't resolve their differences. At the end of the day, uh, Doug uh, is the leader of the party. He gets to pick who's on his team. Uh, if you're not willing to kind of roll with the team, uh, you're going to be off. And I think that's what's happened here. It's a shame because I, a lot of people like Randy Hillier. Like, he's a colorful guy and, uh, you know, he's he's bombastic and fun. Uh, but, you know, once you're in government, there's uh, real jobs to do and, and you need everybody sort of working uh, working with the team. And Randy, of course, sadly, unfortunately, has taken a different path. So there's no room for free spirits and people uh, maybe ad-libbing their way around government? Is that right, Adrian? Well, I don't know if it's quite that. Uh, I just think that, um, you know, the premier and and caucus have expectations of their colleagues, their fellow MPPs, and they believe that uh, Mr. Hillier wasn't um, subscribing to that. But here's what's interesting. So Brian Lilly at the Toronto Sun had reported last week, or, um, you know, that there were some caucus members who very much did want uh, Hillier back in, but it had ostensibly been already a, a foregone conclusion that he won't be. The challenge the Ford government has with someone like Randy Hillier, who is ostensibly, you know, a cruise missile with no guidance system at this point, is 
he is going, he's laying very serious accusations against them. Right. I have no knowledge if they are accurate or not. I suspect they're not. But that is an unhelpful narrative for a government that is about to put forward a budget that has, you know, really done um, a lot of heavy lifting in the very short period of time since they've taken office. They really need um, all the support within caucus that they can get. Hillier is a, a distraction to that. And I don't think he's going to stop with just that letter that he issued um, to his constituents. I think that he's going to, because it's going to keep the narrative going and going and going. Because tomorrow, what are we going to ask him? We're going to ask him, all right, prove your allegations. Show us this, um, your your suggestion that something inappropriate had gone on. So it just keeps well, going and going. In terms of going. lobbying is what he, he said. Yes. Yeah. And then the other thing, of course, that they uh, abrogated the responsibility to follow through with binding arbitration with the doctors, but then they did reverse themselves. So I don't know uh, if, in fact, there's any more to that story. But, Kim, uh, just weigh in very quickly before we move on. I mean, do you think there's more to see here and uh, something really important going on? Well, I think the general premise of Hillier gone rogue is he started rogue. Right. So anyone who thinks that he didn't start rogue clearly hasn't been paying attention to Ontario politics. And I get that there are some new people around Queen's Park, but even new people around Queen's Park should have known that. You know what? Randy is going to continue to level those accusations. Uh, the New Democrats have asked that to be forwarded to the RCMP because they think that that's the proper place for things like that to be investigated. Uh, and there's some there's merit to that. But, you know, the back and forth between the premier's office and Mr. Hillier uh, is unhelpful in politics. And if they want this to stop being a continuing story, a la the SNC uh, Ottawa scandal, stop going back and forth with Randy Hillier on social media. Get it together, guys. Get a communication strategy because sitting there and going line by line and saying this is false and this is a lie is unhelpful to your caucus. The other thing that's interesting is we're now at 11 independents. Uh, so they're pretty close to forming a legislative caucus, which means Randy Hillier might get to start asking questions in the legislature every single day. That should be entertainment alone. Maybe they should change the number to 14 on a graduated <laughs> scale. All right. So, you know, uh, calling in the Mounties, they already have a plate full, don't they, uh, with the stuff with Jody Wilson-Raybould and so on and so forth. By way of follow-up, I need, uh, noticed the prime minister has decided to name uh, Anne McClellan, the former deputy prime minister as well as justice minister, uh, to analyze the operating policies and practices across the cabinet and the role of public servants and political staff in their interactions with the Minister of Justice and Attorney General of Canada. I mean, I don't know what this means, except that uh, it's it's a nice uh, patronage kind of appointment here. Like, And I guess you've got to say the opposition is pointing to her as a liberal apparatchik. I mean, where's the objectivity here, Adrian? There is none. That's the problem. Um, the you know, we just had a conversation about not being able to get a hold of a narrative. Um, this prime minister in the prime minister's office has completely lost uh, the narrative on, on the SNC-Lavalin scandal. It's only getting worse. And I know we're going to talk about Warnick shortly, but let's just talk about um, Anne McClellan's appointment. Anne McClellan, up until six hours ago, was about to uh, be the key speaker, the guest speaker at a liberal fundraiser um, for a local MP in Alberta. You know, we used to call her Landslide Annie because she uh, would win her seats in Alberta by the thinnest of margins. Um, I'm not besmirching her um time as attorney general i think that uh i mean she she did her job there's I, I i have no criticism with respect to that but why now so this is not how canadians want accountability for what happened what 
this is not the way that uh, this should be addressed. And so it is just a cynical, yet again, uh, ploy by the Liberals to distract with um, what the reality is going on. And that's um, Justin Trudeau's government is is in jeopardy. That's interesting. She was going to be the speaker at a fundraiser, a dinner for the Liberal MP in Alberta. I would call that the Last Supper, frankly. <laughs> uh, well, after this next federal election, it sure as heck will well, be. that was my point. Uh, how about you, Mike? I mean, yeah. to name her, I mean, look, does this just continue and compound the issue surrounding the PMO? Look, it, on one hand, it's it's the right thing, which is to bring in an outside person to look at this matter, to give best advice. A lot of smart people have said this weeks ago, that this is something they needed to do. The fact that they reached into and got a partisan, you know, she's a partisan, she's speaking at the fundraiser, uh, as has just been pointed out, uh, just shows they missed it. I mean, they needed a retired chief justice. They needed a retired uh, former attorney general from the conservatives or, or, or someone to come along who's uh, who would have their their credibility and their reputation would be at stake for what, for being involved and putting this forward. What about Frank Iacobucci? He's no shrinking violet. Yeah, there you Wasn't go. Wasn't that uh, yeah. Wernick who said that to uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould allegedly? By the way, on that matter of Wernick, I mean, uh, he's retiring. He's done. But you had to stick a fork in him anyway, Kim, right? I mean, uh, it was untenable that he could continue his position. He showed his partisan stripe, didn't he? Um, Absolutely. But what was interesting and kind of entertaining in the same vein as the way that they bungled the announcement around uh, Ms. McClellan, you know, Wernick was at the swearing-in the third in three months of a new cabinet minister, and he, there was nothing to be done until 1.30 in the afternoon, and all of a sudden, Warnick is uh, retiring. Let's call it what it is. It's a resignation. The same with McClellan. They announced that she's coming on board to, what, investigate liberal bad behavior? But no, later on, they finally get around to doing the whole, oh, well, she's actually investigating whether or not the justice ministry should be separate from the AG, which, you know, let's go back to Confederation uh, and figure this all out. None of this should be a surprise at this point that it has been terrible communications. And they didn't need to figure out the justice and AG. They've got an election coming up, and God hopes there's not yet another cabinet shuffle because I think that's going to be a bit of a trick uh, to pull off for the prime minister at this point. All right. Well, we do have a budget coming out tomorrow, and uh, what we can all anticipate, many people are suggesting that uh, the Liberals are going to try to curry favor by buying us with our own money. Let's see if uh, the panel agrees. In moments, we're back with Mike Van Sol and Adrian Batrick, Kim Wright. On The Oakley Show, more topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville, pound 3636. All right, back into the fray with our panel, Mike Van Solen, Adrian Batra, and Kim Wright. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville, pound 3636. Before we get on to the budget and other things that are happening, you know, I'm just uh, really still flummoxed by this whole situation New Zealand. It's sort of uh, an ongoing continuum of tragedy, compounding tragedy, as we've got, you know, people, there was a story out of Holland earlier today, somebody on a tram there and uh, killed three people, wounded five at last word. Anyway, I'm just curious, what gives rise to this virulent hate? Uh, it seems like we've got a cultural civil war happening, and uh, or certainly a grievance culture that's stoked by the media in various forms, social, mainstream as well. Uh so how does this then manifest itself that people, you know, uh, somebody wants to go out and kill randomly strangers, innocents, kids, women? Anyway, uh, Adrian, any thoughts on that? Hate is hate. And um, it is tragic what happened with the, the Muslim community in New Zealand. And this is a rise of white extremists, a rise of anti-Semitism, 
a rise of um, all of this neo-Nazi business. These are sad realities of people who have felt and feel left out, disenfranchised by whatever system of government they're living in or um, you know societal part of the world they're living in. Um, it's it's irrational. You can't justify it. Um, the fact is very uh, on on with respect to uh, the rise of white nationalism. Yes, that is happening, and um, we need to do everything we possibly can to tackle that head on and uh, and acknowledge the realities of why that is the case. Um, and that well, sometimes will lead to uncomfortable conversations. Well, this is why I say it seems like a lot of people carrying huge chips on their shoulders, yeah. the grievance culture. And uh, I mean, in this instant that you cited, you know, it's uh, these white nationalists and where they're gaining oxygen for their complaints. And then they uh, meet this out in horrific ways. Uh, where does that take root? Uh, look, I, I think uh, there's a lot of factors at play, and I'm sure somebody above my pay grade will tie it together a little more nicely. But I do do believe that the online internet world is allowing these small communities of people, people who just have some extreme ideas, to find each other and to and to, and to have strength through their ability to to talk and and and, and really to fan the flames of hate uh, amongst each other, to feel that they're not alone, and probably to go even further in, in sort of uh, their thinking and hatred because of the self, uh, self-reinforcing self nature of those groups. Mm-hmm. So I think extre- extremism is rising in all its forms, right, left, uh, uh, anti-Muslim, a- anti-Semitism, uh, you, know, you know, we're seeing that. But I do think the Internet and the... And the you know, this sort of lonely culture. These people would have been alone before, and I don't know what they would have done with their ideas, but the ability to, to sort of network and talk online, I do think is part of what we're seeing uh, in sort of the radicalization of these uh, extremist groups. Maybe losing uh, faith in their institutions, their leaders. I mean, look, in France on the weekend, there was yet another yellow vest demonstration. They tore up the Champs-Élysées. Uh, again, people are pissed at uh, what they perceive to be a betrayal by their elites, Kim that's what how they're portraying it. Uh, some have tried to co-opt certain movements to get a bigger platform. Uh, but it also requires to have these big, uncomfortable conversations about what's happening in society that people have to, politicians in particular, need to stop uh, parsing hairs and, frankly, taking their money and stroking these people's ego and then trying to put the genie back in the bottle afterwards. And we see it time and time again. You can't... There, you cannot say with white nationalists that there are two sides to every story because there's not. There is right, there is wrong. There is not a couple of different versions of right on this. And, you know... But, but is it a reflexive thing where uh, people feel, again, look, uh, it's what they said of the rise of uh, national socialism in Germany. If there were no Jews, they'd have to invent them. I mean, there were people who were pissed based on the reparations that were uh, meted out by France after World War I, it gave rise to Hitler. He filled the vacuum. I mean, these kinds of dynamics are playing themselves out sociologically, aren't they? In some ways they are, but we're also continuing to add oxygen by people not uh, having the uncomfortable conversations, learning their history, and frankly saying to these people whose positions uh, are really filled on the hate scale uh, that, no, what you're peddling isn't right, and I'm not going to continue to give you oxygen. Unfortunately, social media is as 
democratic as it can be in that everyone can get on the platform. It's a cesspool. And, and it becomes a cesspool. Yeah. And we see this with trolls. We see this with the alt-right. We see this with all sorts of uh, these these groups that come come forward. And there's a, there's a bit of a lack of pushback because no one wants to be trolled. No one wants to be targeted. But our politicians, if you're going to lead a global country and talk on a global scale about human rights and humanity and being better, then you better do it at home and you better do it in your better tweets. All right. So that's a veiled reference to Trump, I take it. Actually, what? it was a reference to Andrew Scheer. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because there was the uh, senator from Connecticut, Blumenthal, who blamed Trump right at the uh, outset of this tragedy down there in New Zealand, that somehow uh, the buck stops and starts with him. Now, look, even Sarah McLaughlin at the Junos last night took her swipe at him. I mean, this is where people may be offended that the media entertainment complex has uh, tilted so far to the left Mm -hmm. that, you know, this again, it can exacerbate certain grievances. I'm not saying to the extreme where, you know, you've got white haters out there want to murder people en masse. But this is that civil war I'm talking about culturally that's taking place. Am I wrong about that assessment? I wish that those actors and actresses and singers would shut up and sing. Yeah. You know, keep it to yourself. But the, the it affords them an opportunity to sort of weigh in on what the what's happening in the zeitgeist and in a platform that they feel comfortable in because they're going to get cheered and everything is Donald Trump's fault. And I, I know that there are a number of people out there who sort of point to, to the president and say that he is sort of an arbiter of a lot of this stuff. You know, he didn't denounce white nationalism. He'd, he's not, um, you know, he, he took certain endorsements or, or whatever the case may be. I, I, I think that's a bit lazy only because it's 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 far deeper than that. Uh, what's going on, um, it, be it with uh, the rise of even black extremism, uh, um, anti-Semitism in every race culture we're having this rise um, of extremes what is it that has happened in let's say the last 25 years the last quarter century what has happened to bring us to the point right now where, where people can't even like worship um, in a safe environment this this is what I mean when it's an uncomfortable conversation. There are people in this world, in this country, in this city who feel we have made far too many accommodations for religious minorities. And in part, that is a reaction that we saw, sadly, in New Zealand. And we've seen it in other parts of the world. And you're not going to hear candid, frank conversation like that from from any any politician. Yeah, and populism's on the rise as well because, as again, I cited the betrayal. People feel a sense of betrayal from their elites, uh, which is one interpretation. Maybe it's not uh, the be-all and end-all, but I wanted to move on to other matters, including tomorrow's budget and what we can project going forward. The teachers are also on the warpath against Doug Ford with the announcement of a change in curriculum and school or class size. So we'll come back with more topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville, pound 3636. We're back into it with our panel, Mike Van Solen, Adrian Batra, and Kim Wright. Coming up at the top of the hour, it's the Global News at 6 with Farah Nasser and Alan Carter. So we'll move quickly in the 10 minutes or so left. I mean, I've got to ask you about this pending uh, budget being announced by Bill Morneau tomorrow. It's like the economy has stalled, so people are girding their loins for the inevitable. The Liberals are going to spend us back into a deeper hole saying this is stimulus. Am I wrong about that, Mike Van Solen? No, it's going to be a sandwich maker for everybody. That's what I'm predicting. <laughs> 
Look, every government that goes in, the last budget before the election uh, tries to give out goodies and, and to win over constituents uh, to get people to feel good about the government. The challenge of any that any conservative will look at this, any fair-minded Canadian will look at this, is that this is a government that promised they would only have a few real small, uh, small deficits, but they've had big deficits. So now we're in a situation where the debt has only grown, so our financial, our fiscal capacity to now use money properly to to help stimulate the economy uh of course this only comes at greater expense to future generations uh this government doesn't yet have a plan to get the balance they can't name a date uh economists will look at it see it as a 10 15 20 years out uh at minimum Mm -hmm. so uh it's a shame and i think any with all that has happened in the last couple weeks there will be great cynicism amongst Canadians. I think when they look at this and and the treats that are on offer from from the Morneau government, which is amazing, uh, you know, this government's only four years old, but I, I do expect a very cynical reaction to whatever they may lay out. How about you, Kim Wright? You know, show, show me your budget, I'll show you what you value. And this is going to be a budget that values getting reelected. And that's what this is going to be. It's going to be, you get a car, you get to change your it's policy. It's going to be like the you Oprah could, show. You could, it's going to be Oprah. You get a car, check under your seat. Uh, everyone, everyone gets a pony day. But what we should be looking at is what do Canadians value and what what should we be getting from our government? And, you know, for years and, and years, we've been hearing about making sure that there is an actual national pharmacare program, making sure there's an affordable uh, daycare program, making sure that housing actually gets built and isn't a crumbling mess that we see in city after city uh, because the federal government has abdicated all their responsibility. So, I but mean, we're going to gonna fulfill... give everybody some other uh, pre-election promises and goodies is is not showing where, where Canadians okay. value. Yeah, Despite this wish list, it's all cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. It's going to add up, and uh, we can look forward to massive public spending again, Adrian Batra? Margaret Thatcher said the problem with socialism is you, can, you eventually run out of other people's money. And we are in a very dangerous position in this country right now where the economy had been doing well. We have slowed, no question about that. Our dollar will drop. Um, Manufacturing and exchange of goods is going to become more um, uh, uh, expensive. And furthermore, this Liberal uh, government is going to be introducing the carbon tax as of April 1st as well. So that is going to also be um, hindering your uh, bottom line, your family's own, own bottom line. I find it interesting that, um, you know, we're in this position right now with the Liberal government because they want to use tomorrow as a giant distraction from the, uh, from the lab scam, from SNC-Lavalin that's been embroiled this Prime Minister's office. I don't believe it will be. I think that um, there is an extraordinary amount of cynicism, regardless of if it's, you know, provincial or federal government and whoever um, the political stripe is. This is an election budget. So Canadians will see, oh, look at all the spending that they're going to do. National Pharmacare Program, maybe a National Daycare Program. We'll probably hear these big words. We'll hear words like investment. You can play budget bingo tomorrow. Mm. You have investment, looking for the future, um, rebuilding, uh, you know, strength of the middle class. Right. You'll hear all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it will um, change a lot of people's minds right now that they are paying more that they are not seeing benefits for their tax, hard tax dollars that are going out so the door. So a lot of it will be a confirmation and bias. They, that they, and, there could be. And we're not going to see timelines that are actually meaningful. They're going to be Projected three out. years, five years, ten years down the road that they might actually get to it, but it 
darn well sounds like a great announceable when they're trying to say, hey, look at this shiny ball over here, as opposed to the giant flaming dumpster fire that continues <laughs> to right. erupt. All right. I'm on a tight timeline, but I did want to project out here. Uh, in four years, the Ford government announced on Friday they've got some changes coming to the curriculum or mm-hmm. class size has become a big issue and a talking point with the teachers. Uh they wanted to show dissent today by having all the teachers wear black in school. <laughs> anyway, it was like a Johnny Cash uh, memorial or something. But we had uh, Harvey Bischoff on earlier, the president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, claiming they're going to lose thousands of members through attrition resignations. But it's positions that will be lost. Give a listen. I think she's deliberately obfuscating the issue here. She says nobody will involuntarily lose a job, and and so if we take her at her word on that, fine. But she's still saying that by attrition, there's going to be well over five. In fact, we're looking at probably now over 6,000 secondary school teachers' jobs lost in the province, those positions, um, four years out from now. So although there won't be... All right, uh, that was the gist of it. So, Adrian, let me ask you quickly, because here you've got the teachers, they're going to go militant, he's suggesting, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, their contract lapses August 31, anticipate strikes. Mm-hmm. There's going to be, you know, all kinds of calamity and commotion on the front lawn at Queen's Park, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah, like so- the Harris days, you know, 2.0. But my question is two-part. Is the attrition of teachers a good or a bad thing if it goes, say, from the average class size of 22 up to 28? And does that compromise the quality of the education? Well, so I don't think it does because... There is one aspect that the OSSTF is not talking about, and that's um, that a significant down spiral of enrollment has also happened. And in the meantime, what we've done is we've hired 13,000 teachers and we've hired 9,000 early childhood educators. That's the part of the equation they don't like talking about. So I, it is disingenuous for them to go out and say that, oh, was, you know, scream murder because it's a conservative government. This is what they're going to do. But let's not forget, in the last two years of the liberal government under Wynne, they did this as well. But Kathleen Wynne, when she was premier, she went in and opened up the, the coffers for them. Doug Ford's government is not prepared to do that. They're not going to do that. They will deal with the protests that are going to be on the front line of the of Queen's Park and um, look to modernize the education system. And the OSSTF and all the other teachers unions are either going to just, you know, they should shut up and sing. They should they should continue to they're going to continue to scream from the sidelines, but it will have little to no impact because this is the type of change that Ontarians are looking for. All right. And by the way, the wind government even paid for their pizza during negotiations. Also that. So Mike Van Solen on this point, look, uh, the wind McGinty liberals doubled the education budget. Uh, They maxed out just you know, feather betting it for their teacher friends and who return the favor in kind up until, you know, near the end. Uh, so is Doug Ford right to, uh, you know, draw the line, increase the class size, p- teachers, thousands of jobs will not be uh, filled through attrition right. and so on and so forth? He has to. I mean, we're just in a fiscal place where he we have little choice. The, the cupboards are bare and uh, they are left this way by the previous government that spent money that we didn't have. So they are going to have to take a hard look at it. They uh, And, you know, we're going into what will be an acrimonious collective bargaining season with teachers. So they are prepositioning. They're fear-mongering a bit on the topic. But I think we all have to step back, especially parents who have kids in, in the school system, and really look at what the government has to say. They are talking about a 
four-year plan to kind of get this thing back working. And let's not lose sight of the fact that we haven't been doing well with all the money that we've been putting in the system. We're not doing really well on uh, performance scores, test scores. Uh, math is an, a, a, certainly an important area where we see the scores actually falling. So I think taking a hard look at how we can do better is important. And I, you know, I, as Ontarians, just sort of sort through the rhetoric that you hear about this because it's going to be pretty fiery and look at the substance of what the government ultimately puts forward. How about you, Kim? The last time I was in math class, when I saw the words average, it wasn't that every class is going to be 28. It means that there are going to be classes that are up into the high 30s, as well as some that are going to be in the teens, but most of those are going to be closer to the average and above average. The other thing that was interesting in the announcement uh, was requiring students once a year to have an online course, which sounds really great, and we're being all modern and exciting, and except for the fact that you have lots of kids who don't have computers at home. And the more we cut library time, Time, and the more we cut access to those services, uh, it becomes more and more problematic, and not the least of which, except for in rural Ontario, where the broadband doesn't exist. Oh, but the feds are going to fix that tomorrow. Well, broadband's I, coming. I'm just wondering how we <laughs> reconcile this with the uh, need to meet certain budgetary requirements. I mean, this is one area where you can economize, can't you? Well, you're starting to look at, back to what I said. Show me your budget. I'll show you what you value. And it's great that we want to talk about doing all sorts of things, but when we talk, what people want is their kids to be educated and healthcare to be taken care of. How that looks and what that looks like, that's what this government is going to absolutely be judged Fis- on. Fiscal responsibility they. is also a value that uh, Ontarians uh, hold dear, and I think they voted for it in the last election. So, uh, they voted you know, there, for their there's systems a, there's, a, there's a lot of virtue signaling you can do with the budget uh, and say you like this and like that. But at the end of the day, we have to bring some fiscal discipline to this province. We're going in the wrong path. It is the end of the day. I got to bring are. some discipline to this. We're done. I thank, thank you. you all, Mike Van Solen, Adrian Batrick, Kim right and all for making it a great day for talk radio thanks for listening to the john oakley show podcast be sure to rate review and subscribe for free at apple podcasts google podcasts and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio